welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. Every week, I bring you dads from across the world that are trying to be the best dads that they can be. I am trying to make you think in a little bit different way, make you see fatherhood in a little bit different way, because every dad has a different story, and every father is fathering in a little bit different way. And that's a good thing, because we can learn from each other, we can help each other, we can lift each other up, and we can support each other through this journey of fatherhood that each of us are on. And today's guest is going to be able to do that as well. Today, we've got Rolando Rodriguez with us here today. We're going to be talking about his journey as a dad. Rolando, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Chris. It's an honor to be here to talk about my fatherhood. I am really excited to be able to talk to you, to be able to get into your story and your daughter's story. But before we do that, I want to turn the clock back in time because I want you to go back to that first moment, that first moment when you found out that you were going to be a dad to a daughter. What was going through your head? My daughter, Grace, was an unexpected surprise. I was 21 years old. I had just arrived in Washington, D.C. I was working for a nonprofit organization on Capitol Hill. My whole life was ahead of me. And, and, you know, obviously it still was, but it was going to turn out a lot different than I thought it was. I was going to school at night at the University of Maryland and working for the Congressional Hispanic Caucus Institute as an executive assistant at the time. And I got an AOL message from, and back then it was just kind of chat from Grace's mom letting me know that she was pregnant. And I was hit with a ton of bricks. I had no idea what to do, but I knew that my life was about to change. Our lives definitely change when that happens. And as you said, your life did change. I'm sure that there was definitely some fear, not only fear going through your head about what that meant for you as a man, as a person, but really what it meant for you going forward and how you were going to be there as a father. But as you think about your daughter and you think about the years that you've been with her, as you look at her life and you look at the way that you've had to father her, what was your biggest fears in raising a daughter in today's society? I would say that that my biggest fear and grace coming into the world was that I would be ill-equipped as a man to provide for her. I came from very humble beginnings and I suffered a lot and I went through a lot. Um, I come from a really tough background, and I had a really tough dad. I had a hard-hitting daddy who, who drank heavily. And fatherhood gives you an opportunity to reconcile where you lacked by being raised by a man. And But that's also a, an amazing challenge to give to a human being. And I had to reckon with that reality at 21 years old. That's a lot to reckon with, and definitely something that I'm sure kind of threw you for a loop and made you had to think about things in a whole different way. Talk to me about that. What did you have to go through to be able to get yourself in a different place so that you were prepared to be able to take on the role as father? I had to rethink my entire life. Grace's mom and I didn't see eye to eye. We went immediately into a custody battle of how we would share Grace's time and you know, it went to trial. It went all the way up to front of a judge and where my whole life was being questioned by, you know, the opposing attorney. So everything from like, you know, getting my house in order in order to have a, a, a young child inside of it to how I spent my time to how much alcohol I could sue to essentially how I lived my life had to be turned up on its head 
right? And I had to be a different man for this young girl that was coming into my life who I had to be an example for. So I had a huge microscope I was underneath, and I had to think differently about how I was going to lead my life. Now, your daughter's 20 now, and definitely there's been a few years between when she was born and where she's at now. And there, it, it, I know it's been a journey. We're going to talk about that journey that you've gone on in regards to that. But what was the hardest part throughout these 20 years, these 20 plus years that you've had with your daughter? What would you say has been the hardest part for you as a father, for you in raising your daughter? There were moments where Grace would call me in the middle of the night crying, trying to understand why she didn't have the traditional family structure that her classmates had and her friends at school. And to try to explain that she was, which is now, if you look at it, almost a traditional household, having a single parent household is much more common today. But Grace grew up in a, in a in suburban America where it was very picturesque and things looked very perfect from the outside. And so I think Grace was struggling with a lot of things now that we talk. And, and I think she was struggling with her racial identity, being half Korean, half Mexican, and a predominantly white part of America, having a white stepfather and a Korean mother and a Mexican-American father who lives somewhere else. I think all those things have made her better and stronger as a woman. But I think as a child, you know, where her mind began to develop and question and scrutinize the way her life existed, it was extremely difficult to try to justify why we made the decisions we made as, as parents to separate and to live different lives. So let's go a little bit deeper into that, because I know, like you just said, you went through this court battle and you were in Washington, D.C., but then some things changed and you had to be taken away from that situation. And I'm sure your father had had the change as well. So talk to me about the journey, the journey that you and Grace had to go on for many years, being in, in from being where you were to where you are today. Yeah, you know, Grace was almost five years old when when dad, my father, passed away of cancer at just 46 years old. And I felt a urging need to get back home. And I had a really frank conversation with her mom about how this could work. The custody battle was the only point of contention in the 20 years that Grace has been alive between her mom and I. We have been partners in raising our daughter for 19 of the 20 years. And the first year was the custody battle. And we had a, a really important conversation around where I was needed at the moment and whether I could continue to be a good father from Houston. And it was a really anticlimactic conversation. I think she supported me. She wanted me to, to serve the needs of my family, and she felt that I could be there for the parent-teacher conferences and the dance recitals, and that's what planes were for, right? And that's what FaceTime was for, and, and so we did that. And so it, it was extremely difficult, but at the same time, it took a village. You know, it took constant reinforcement by her mom to let her know that I did love her and that I, I wasn't away because I didn't love her, but because, you know, there were other parts of the world that needed me at the moment. Now, as I mentioned, your daughter is 20 now, and her life has changed in many different ways, which, and I'll let you talk about that. But as she has gotten older, I'm sure your relationship has also changed, and you've had to go through some some adjustments to be able to father in a different way. So talk to me about the journey that she's been on and how that's impacted 
your relationship. You know, Grace's time in, in Maryland, she decided to cut that short. And a week into her senior year of high school, she decided to move move to Texas. And she wanted to finish high school in Texas, and she wanted to pursue her dream of being a working model and actress. And she already had an agency that was interested in signing her in Austin, Texas. When I got Grace, when she got off that plane, I saw, I think, a different version of her than the put-together little girl that she always, you know, the facade that she gave me. I think that there were problems like any teenage young girl had with her mom and there was issues of racism inside of her school and there was bullying happening inside of her school that was pretty traumatic Um, and as a father was challenged to figure out how to take this seemingly perfect little girl that always got straight A's that always was the lead and on her dance team that was always seen so fondly by the community and by her family and friends, who was essentially broken in this moment. And how was I going to piece her back together? That was an incredible challenge because the majority of my fatherhood between Grace's first year and the time that she was 17, when she moved to to Texas, was smooth sailing. (laughs) But I was dealing with more of the day-to-day real issues that her mom dealt with throughout her life. And it was an eventful time for us. We had to find her a high school very quickly. I had to institute disciplinary measures and structure that she didn't necessarily follow at home because she was rebelling and she had very strong views on the world and how they should go and where she fit in. And I had to figure out how to give her her freedom at the same time, provide her structure. And so it changed our relationship. It wasn't like shopping trips and we went to Costa Rica one one Christmas and go to Georgetown and go shopping and we'd go to movies and eat ice cream. This was the real world here and we were dealing with something much more profound than the fleeting moments. These stadium moments were like it's a father-daughter time and there was these really beautiful memories. This was the day-to-day grind and and so that's what I was facing. She had left everything that she ever knew in Maryland to come to a strange new city and finish high school and figure her life out. There was a lot of tears. There was sleepless nights. There was her questioning whether she did the right thing. In the end, it was the best decision for Grace. And eventually, I was able to change her mind. Mental health services, and I got her into therapy. And she is a much different girl than she was two and a half years ago. She is an incredibly strong woman that has opinions on the world and that is fighting for her future. That's not the little girl that got off the plane. Now, you mentioned the fact that she had to kind of struggle with her own identity. And I know that you, as a part of your own journey, helped to start a company, a company called Trill Multicultural. And as a part of some of that work and the work that you're doing there, you're dealing with those type of things. You're talking to big companies, you're talking with individuals, you're challenging individuals, you're pushing individuals to be able to think in different ways. And it sounds like you had to do some of that with your own daughter and be able to help her to be able to reconcile the different components of the identity with whom she has become. So talk to me about that. And how did you have to work with your daughter to be able to reconcile all of that to allow her to become who she is today? It's really interesting. My agency is is really about helping companies 
tell compelling brand stories about themselves, but really about their employees and about their investments in the community. But the way we tell those stories is about helping multicultural communities stand in their power and help them demonstrate to the world what they're capable of and how they contribute to society and to the United States. The framing of multicultural communities and the way corporations and the way news outlets you know, the way they do it is from a place of deficit and a place of scarcity. But we have been thriving in the face of historical exclusion for a long time. And so it's about reframing our power and reframing the way we tell stories about brown, black, AAPI, Middle Eastern, Arab communities. We have to take control of our own narrative. And there's enough white allies, there's enough corporations, there's enough people of color inside of companies that are helping us do that so that we can reframe this conversation around what it means to be black or brown in this country. At the heart of what we are, we're a storytelling hub and we're here to help tell better stories about our communities and we do that through a variety of marketing and communications disciplines. That's a life that I've led and it's impacted and encompassed me my entire career and Grace has watched that. My daughter has seen me make racial diversity, equity, inclusion a part of my life. It's everything that I live and breathe before George Floyd was killed, before Breonna Taylor was killed. When people and companies were throwing me out of the room in 2002 because they didn't think that this was important. And I think Grace has had a front row view of my passion for equity, my passion for equality. And I think in many respects, she's adopted that. She has faced racism in her own life, you know, living in a predominantly conservative white part of the country, being made fun of for being Korean, being made fun of for being Mexican. For many years, she was embarrassed of who she was, and she was penalized for what she looked like. When she got to Austin, she was signed to a modeling agency, and she immediately landed a national modeling contract with a major beauty product company, which ran a a nationwide advertising campaign with Grace's face on it. Grace was in TV. She was in the shopping aisles of Walmart and Target. She was everywhere. The reason she got that is because she's half Hispanic and half Korean. The reason she got that is because she represents a diversity that is increasingly being embraced in this country. And so it sent a message to her that she mattered. It sent a message to her that she was beautiful and that she was appreciated. But it took her leaving home and leaving everything behind and falling into her father's arms, picking her up, us trying to figure it out together for her to find that place in life. And it was a rigorous, hard, beautiful journey, as all stories are, to get there. And so now my daughter is a signed model, she's in college, she takes a full course load, and she works for True Multicultural, working to help the alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and explosives government agency increase their workforce diversity, their workforce, workforce diversity. So it's become a big part of her life as well. I wasn't intentional about it. I just kind of lived my life the best I could and set the best examples, and then it's not always what you say to your kids. It's kind of what you do and how you act in the world. That's what they end up adopting. You know, I guess one thing that I would ask you, and it's not specifically about the way that you've raised your daughter, but it also goes back into some of the work that you're doing in Trill Multicultural, is 
really thinking about as you interact with other fathers and they may not be multicultural themselves, they may not have a multicultural understanding of the world around them, or at least they, they may it may be more of a visual type of thing, but for them, they may not know how to have those conversations. They may not have know how to start those conversations or start to talk to their own kids about the importance of understanding racial equity. What would you say to those dads about ways that they can start to help their children to be prepared for their futures that are going to be very different than the world that we're in right now. I think it has it comes down to intention, Chris. Like we have to be intentional about these conversations. I'm a part of a, a fraternity of guys that some of them are married, some of them are newly divorced. We're all dads and we're all dads to daughters. And we've had to uh, really question the values and principles that were passed on from our traditional Mexican dads. You know, some of them that have values that are opposite of ours today. And some of my friends still hold dearly to, like being anti-LGBT, right? And so there has to be intentionality in this entire equation in the sense that we have to have these conversations with intention. It's not something that just comes up. We have to bring it up at the bar. We have to bring it up over, over drinks or over beers or at the game. And we have to talk about what do we want our daughters to look like and, and think like and, and do like in the future? What do we, what, how, and, and how much influence do we have there? You know, and, and it's, it's, it's a ton of work that has to be done. You know, our daughters are an external factor to this, right? They're important, but they're external. The work has to be done internally, right? Dads have to put themselves through therapy if they've had rough upbringings. They have to read and understand viewpoints of the world that are outside of their own and outside of their their parents and their families that may have limited views on the world. And we have to come to the conclusion that equality and equity is an important part of it. If we can pass that down to our kids, that's a really wonderful thing to do. But we we can't we can't do that and not live it. Like we have to live those things or our daughters are going to pick up on the BS pretty quickly. Because they're incredibly smart and they're smarter than us. And they're incredibly cr- cr- observant and analytical and surgical in the way they'll pick us apart in the future. Because that's what we do. We make apart our parents' choices. And so I have friends, Chris, that I don't agree with politically. And I have friends who I do agree with politically. But at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves, are we setting our children to be viewed as good human beings? And so I would say that I don't see my friends all the time but there are moments where like hey let's get together let's talk about life let's talk about something really important and hard and maybe something that we disagree on there has to be intention there and i see more and more men doing that because we can classify ourselves as liberal we can classify ourselves as open-minded and progressive but all it takes is a conversation to realize that you're not much better than than the person that you consider is closed-minded there's always someone out there to teach you better and I had this conversation around pronouns and how I just thought it was a very complex issue at first and that it introduced complexity. And then I realized someone, some another father told me that, you know, I have to think about this differently. These are the same things that this is the same kind of conversation I'd have with a Western white male who may not want to understand the differences between Puerto Rican and Mexican. There's parallels here. And so we have to be open-minded. And, and I think that intention is the best thing, is, is our best tool. 
Um, and someone has to lead that. And if it's you, if you know, you're listening to this podcast and you know that you're one of the individuals that's more exposed to the world and, and different schools of thought, it's your responsibility to kind of like wrangle in the guys and, and, and bring it up, regardless of how much healthy debate and tension it creates. Now, I always finish my interviews with what I like to call our Fatherhood Five, where I ask you five more questions to delve deeper into you as a dad. Are you ready? Yes, sir. In one word, what is fatherhood? Responsibility. Now, when was the time that you felt like you finally succeeded at being a father to a daughter? My daughter wasn't given my last name when she was born, and that was her mother's decision, something she felt was best because we didn't get married. One day, I went on my daughter's Instagram and saw that she added my last name. That was a very profound moment for me because it told me that she embraced. She's always embraced me. I've always been her dad, but she embraced her identity, the other side of it, the one that her father gave her. Now, if I was to talk to Grace and ask her this, how would she describe you as a dad? I think that she would describe me as incredibly open-minded compared to uh, some of the other fathers that her friends have had to deal with. I'm the one that put my daughter on the pill. I'm the one that talked to my daughter about the birds and the bees, and I'm the one that I've told my daughter that she can date whoever she wants. I'm not here to judge that. I'm not here to judge her journey. I'm only here to provide her tools to succeed. Whether she uses them is on her. So I think she would call me open-minded. I'd hope so. Now, who inspires you to be a better dad? I think the men around me, my friends who have I've seen grow as men, and I know their faults and they know mine, to see them interact with their children inspires me and gives me ideas of how to be a better father myself. I'm incredibly lucky to be surrounded by people that have done a lot of inner work and that shows in how they father. Now, you've said a lot of things today that I know that people are going to connect with and things that are going to challenge some people too. But as we end up today, what's one piece of advice that you want to leave with everyone? I think our lives are not our daughter's. They deserve to make their own mistakes and they deserve to to walk into their own booby traps. We are there to protect them and to ensure that their life and their livelihood is prolonged and it goes for a long time and that we're old men and they're old ladies when they when we finally leave this world. But one thing I've learned is that we have to let our daughters lead their own lives and we may not agree with every part of it, but we cannot let that impact us negatively and we can't let that impact the way we view our daughters. At the end of the day, we can only judge our daughters on whether they're good human beings or not. And that's a very broad definition. And we have to give space for that. Well, Rolando, I really want to thank you for sharing everything that you've shared today, for sharing your journey, sharing your journey with Grace, but your own personal journey as well. If people want to find out more about you, if they want to follow along with things that you're doing, where's the best place for them to go? You know, follow us on Instagram, Trill Multicultural. It's at Trill Multicultural. T-R-I-L-L Multicultural. You can see a lot of the work that we're doing and you can find me there. Well, Rolando, I just want to say thank you. Thank you again for all that you shared today. And I wish you all the best. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you, sir. If there's anything I can do to help out in the future, please let me know. I'd love to be involved. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, 
but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be